Matthew chapter 27. I kick that water over. That'll be fun, won't it? Shopping with my wife. <clears throat> Her doing more shopping than I was getting a sandwich at Walmart. <clears throat> and uh, I got a telephone call from a friend of mine and and it was just good to hear from him. And he was talking about how he'd been so captivated by uh, an issue in his life. And uh, he had, uh, he'd been 100 days free from that. And that's a cool thing. But he mentioned to me, he said, you know, Mike, he said, the other night, he said, my family and I were sitting there together. And he said, I looked at my boys and. He said, guys, y'all know why we celebrate Easter? Why we're coming together? And why? Little boy said, I know, I know. He said, it's to have family time. And he said, you know what? You're right. That's exactly what we ought to be doing. And then he told me, he said, Mike, you know it broke my heart. But I realized my boys didn't have a clue of what Easter is all about. Now, you know, it's difficult in a few minutes to give you the whole story, but why it is so true that it involves a little baby Jesus who came to us through the Virgin Mary and that he grew up to be 33 and then he started his ministry for you and me. And we took him and nailed him to a cross, nailed him to a tree, and he died a cruel death. But then the scripture says that on the third day, he rose again. You know, Philippians 3.10 says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Romans 6.4 says, We're buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Romans 10, 9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him, Jesus, from the dead, that you and I can be saved. In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Listen, all kind of evidences. We know the Scripture. We can read them and read them and read them. But if you don't believe them, doesn't do a whole lot of good, does it? You see, there's all kind of evidences, and probably some of the major evidences are those that are here today. And I'm not saying everybody, but I'm saying Hopefully, the majority of us today are people that have a changed life. There ought to be a difference after you met Jesus. There ought to be, your life ought to be changing as Jesus is conforming his image through you. <laughs> Man, you look at the disciples, 
the lives of the men and women throughout all the ages, we have grand evidence that Jesus truly is the resurrection. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living, whatever men may say. I see His hand of mercy. I hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I need Him, He's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and He talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. Because he lives within my heart. You want to know where Jesus is? He's inside if you're born again. If you know him and if you have experienced the new birth of Jesus Christ. Yes, the world says according to the record that Confucius has a tomb, but it's occupied. Buddha has a tomb, but it's occupied. Muhammad has a tomb, but it's occupied. Jesus had a tomb, but it's empty. Why? Because he's in glory, waiting on us, waiting to come and get us. It is empty because he was resurrected. Today I want to talk to you, preach to you on the power of the resurrection. Now, I had to let my hair down a little bit. Preachers do, believe it or not, wear shorts. Pe- preachers do take showers. Preachers do have a life. And, and maybe this is the life I shouldn't have, but I got hooked on a series called Resurrection. And some of you, you got hooked too. And I understand that they're not even going to be playing that tonight. And I was hoping I'd get to go home tonight and see it. But in that particular series, I looked it up on a website, and here's what they say about it. The series Resurrection is American fantasy drama television series about dead people who return to life. Now, if you've been watching it, you know that the first one to come to life was a little boy, dead over 30-something years. His daddy didn't know what to do. He's still struggling in this series about what to do about his son coming back to life. The second had to do with a criminal. In my opinion, this is where it deviates from Scripture, and I'll show you in a minute. But this guy ended up doing like he did originally. He killed somebody, and while he was in a a jail cell, he disappeared. Got to have a little drama. Then some lady shows up who just happened to be, of all people, the girlfriend of the local town preacher. They got to mess us up, don't they? (laughs) Not only that, she's pregnant. Well, that put the preacher in a wonderful light at a young teen, didn't it, or a young guy. So the church is turning against him in the last series, and so... To to look at that, we say, well, you know what? We like supernatural activity. Most people do. I mean, if you've got the supernatural one living inside of you, you like supernatural activity. But just remember, 1 John 4, 1 says that to believe not every spirit, but to try the spirits whether they're of God or not. What's that mean? Well, there's only a few spirits operating. Holy Spirit, can I hear an Amen. The evil spirit operating, angelic spirits or or messengers, and evil messengers. Now, there's some weird things that go on in the Bible that I can't explain, such as uh, 
They throw a body in a pit. I can't remember now if it was Elijah or Elijah. It's one of them hit the bone and come back to life. At the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah show up to minister to Jesus. They're, they're dead and gone, come back. There are all kinds of things. When Jesus called forth after he finally got there and Mary and Martha all mad, crying, why wouldn't you hear Lazarus wouldn't have died? He goes to the tomb. He says, Lazarus, come forth. By golly, that's exactly what he did. He came out of the tomb. You want to know why he hollered Lazarus? Because he'd have cleared every grave site with a believer in it if he hadn't put a name on it. Something, though, in Matthew 27 verifies something took place very powerful, supernaturally, at the resurrection. Look at it, verse 50. Then Jesus shouted again, and we know what he shouted. He shouted in John 19, it is finished. And he gave up the ghost, gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and rocks split apart. And the tombs opened up. Now the Bible says, the graves gave open and gave up the dead, and the dead were godly men and godly women. Ungodly people don't come back. They're in hell. I ain't seen him come back. It's kind of cool, though. I was coming in this morning, got to think about this. I said, the time Jesus is resurrected, somebody, I'm sure, died. Now, if they had anything like we do today, we, we go to the, uh, either the church or funeral home, have a funeral. Could you imagine now? It's your grandmama. And you just, like me, I, I preached to all my grandparents from Graham. I, I, there's not many funerals in my family. I hadn't preached. And can you imagine now? You, you put her in the ground as nice as you could. You get back, walk in the kitchen, and there she sits at the kitchen room table. <laughs> She's back! <laughs> Boy, that'd be weird, wouldn't it? Somebody got blessed that way. I don't know how, but somebody did. Well, let's look at verse 51. Verse 51 tells us that, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks did split. When Jesus died on the cross, we're told that the veil of the temple was torn in half from the top to the bottom. The veil stood as a barrier between the holy place and the holy of holies in the temple. And behind this veil was the mercy seat. The high priest would enter in behind the veil once a year on the Day of Atonement and place the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the people. The veil had stood as a reminder that man, listen to this, man was separated from God by his sins. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, Your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear you. Now, I'm going to tell you something. 
Jesus came so that you and I would be set free. Now, you can explain it all you want to, but if you've come to Jesus and he saved you and he's forgiven you, it's forgiven and the blood has covered it and you don't have to dig it up no more. Jesus said, I remember it no longer as it's the east, it's to the west. Somebody said, I don't believe any of that. I don't care what you believe. I believe what Jesus teaches. You see, when it comes to you and I, man no longer has to feel separated from God by his sins any longer. Now, look, I said this in the earlier service. I don't have to go to somebody who has a white collar and get in the booth with him and bore him with my sin life. All I have to do is get somewhere alone and me and the Father get busy. Lord, this is wrong in my life. I confess it. I repent. And then go tell my wife. I don't want anything to jump out of that room that she'd be surprised about. Some of you ain't man enough to do that. We'll move on. Verse 50. And Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. He said, in light of John 19, it's finished. He satisfied God's just demands for sin. He took the place of the guilty before the judgment bar of God. He secured the redemption through his blood for all who would trust him as Savior. His death on the cross forever satisfied God. His death on the cross liberated us who were trapped and victimized by sin, and he set us free when we receive him by faith. Now, guys, it don't get much better than that. There's a book written in the blood. It tells the story of a little boy whose sister needed a blood transfusion. The doctor explained that she had had some kind of disease that the boy had recovered or that his brother had recovered from two years earlier. Her only chance of recovery was a transfusion from someone who had previously conquered the disease. Since the two children had the same rare blood type, the boy was the ideal donor. The doctor came to, the, to Johnny and said, Would you give your blood to Mary? Johnny hesitated a minute. Lip began to quiver. Then he smiled and said, sure, anything for my sister. Soon the two children were wheeled into the hospital room, male, pale and thin, Johnny robust and healthy. Neither spoke, but when their eyes met, Johnny grinned. And as the nurse inserted the needle into his arm, Johnny's smile faded away. He watched the blood flow from the tube from his arm to his sister, And silence was broken when Johnny looked at the doctor and said, Doctor, when am I going to die? Only then did the doctor realize why Johnny had hesitated and his lip had begun to quiver. Johnny thought he was giving his blood to his sister and it meant that he was going to die. Johnny fortunately didn't have to die to save his sister, but each of us have a condition. And that condition is worse than Mary's blood 
condition. It's called the condition of sin. And the Bible tells us that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prayed, he prayed with such intensity that there were blood, there were blood sweat, tear, or, or blood drops coming from his forehead. And many say, oh, I know why he prayed so hard. I know why he prayed with such intensity. Because they were going to drive spikes in his hands and his feet. They were going to pierce his side. They had already beat him till his insides were poking out of his back. But I'm here to tell you, that is not. Whoa, that is not. Why? Jesus prayed with such intensity. You want to know why he prayed with such intensity? Because the judgment of God was fixing to fall on him. It was your sins and mine. It was the sins from the very beginning of of time that were going to be placed on Jesus. And he never had the judgment of God poured out him. God said he had to turn his uh, eyes from his son because of the sin that he received. And he redeemed us. And he freed us from. My folk, listen to me. There ain't nobody going to heaven with one ounce of sin on your life. They don't belong there. Now listen to me. In our human flesh, in who we are as human beings, if that's all we had It would be a total impossibility for you to die without something gone down sinfully in your life. But thank God, the blood that he shed on Calvary when he was resurrected, he gave us a newness of life. And the Father said he could look upon us, as he did in the book of the Revelation, chapter 4, as a crystal river, clean. Through the blood of Jesus. Not clean through you and me. Except Jesus in us. Who's purified us. Before God. Well. That weren't enough. Go over to 1 Corinthians 15. Because Paul ran into a problem in the early church. And the problem was. There were people who, were believe, who believed. There was no resurrection. Now, if there's no resurrection, isn't that a problem? Everything I've said at this point is worthless. It means nothing if there's no resurrection. Notice in verse 12, Paul said, But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there'll be no resurrection? For if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. You see, what he's saying, Paul's reminding them that because they were saying there was no resurrection, then Jesus didn't rise again, then everything that we believe comes crashing down around our ears. Everything that you've learned from the disciples, everything that you learned from Jesus, everything that you've learned from the New Testament and the Old doesn't mean anything. If it's true, there's no resurrection of the dead, then the very belief system that we cherish so deeply is nothing more than another religion that offers people no hope and no life. We have no foundation. If there's no resurrection, notice what he says in verse 14, to follow. 
If Christ was not raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your trust in God is useless. We apostles would all be lying about God, for we've said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. What's he saying? Well, first of all, he's saying, due to our faith, verse 14, preaching would be useless. Now, some of you may say some Sundays, boy, I didn't get nothing out of that one. I'll live with that. I read books. I'm reading a book now called Radical. Unfortunately, I hadn't read any chapter yet. I started it yesterday, and I'm going to chapter 4. I can't hardly want to. I don't even want to put it down. I don't know about you. But if you want to read something, read a good book. That's a good book. It'll mess with you, but it's a good one. Next Sunday, invite all of you to attend Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, revival messages, but there would be no reason to have it. Sheldon would be wasting his time preparing or preaching. It would be useless if there was no resurrection. He also says that our faith would be in vain. Our faith would be useless if Jesus is still dead. We'd be wasting time serving him, worshiping him. I mean, come on, we just soon worship a rock, worship a tree. Isn't that some of you say anyway? Well, I just love it out to my deer stand. And, and I know I wasn't in church. Bless God, I was worshiping him out there in the woods. Baloney. You were deer hunting. Baloney on that boat. You were fishing. Or you don't need that boat. Give it to me. <laughs> Verse 15 says, and the apostles would all be lying about God, for we've said that God raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there's no resurrection. Basically, what he's saying is that you and I would be liars. Now, listen, every time we open our mouths to sing, every time we open our mouths to witness or to testify or to preach or do whatever we do in his name, we would all be liars, liars if Jesus had not been resurrected. Consider for a moment a leap of faith with Paul. Paul was a man of wealth. He was a man of social standing. He was a man of influence. He had great education. And yet he was willing to throw all away for the cause of Christ. The Bible says in his walk with Jesus, he was beaten, imprisoned, assaulted, stoned, and left for dead. That'd wipe out three quarters of the Baptist church today. We sell Jesus so cheap. Pray this prayer. You got him, you in. You ain't following him, you ain't in. I'm telling you, when you start looking at the words that Jesus talked about being saved, he didn't say a whole lot about praying the prayer, but he said a whole lot about following him. He said a whole lot about dying to self. He said a whole lot about being crucified. He said a whole lot about a stuff that when we live that, we don't cheapen the grace of God. I see a lot of people there cheapening that. And, and living, they say, I'm, oh, bless God, I'm covered under the grace. Well, if you're covered under the blood, you'll follow him. You'll be connected into the same man that I am. That man has me following him. 
You can't see, you can't watch one of his programs or any of the things that we see depicted on TV that those men weren't following him and it was costing them something. It's a missionary in India who was skinned alive and looked at his skinners and said, thank you because in just a few moments I'm fixing to have a new robe of righteousness. If one person in this church was skinned alive for their belief and faith in Jesus, many of you wouldn't come back to this church. You wouldn't come back. I'm telling you, you're a spoiled brood of people and breed of people here in America. You serve God out of convenience. You serve God because it's easy. If you were beaten, if you were whipped, and it cost you something, many of you turn away and said, I don't want none of that. Verse 17 says, if Christ has not been risen, then your faith is useless. Now listen to this, and you're still under the condemnation for your sins. You want to know what Jesus did on the cross when he died, shed his blood, and then was resurrected? There is now no more condemnation. But if he didn't die, we're condemned to hell. There is no forgiveness without the resurrection. Verse 18 and 19 says, in that case, all who have died believing in Christ have perished. And if we have hope in Christ only for this life, we, was, we, we are the most miserable people in the world. You know what he's saying? If we don't believe in the resurrection, we have no future. I mean, our loved ones who have died and gone on before, guess what? There ain't nobody waiting on us. Because they ain't there. If there's no resurrection. I, I get to have this fuzzy feeling all the time when I preach funerals because if I know those people are believers, I know that they've had some people on the other side and, and there's people over here waiting on them. I said, look, you want to go where they're going? You want to be where they are? And you better know Jesus. But if there's no resurrection, nobody waiting. I like Paul. He, boy, he, he paints a bleak picture here if there's no resurrection. But look at verse 20. Look at it. But the fact is. Boy, there's no doubt in that man's mind. <laughs> but the fact is that Christ has been raised from the dead. The tomb is empty. He's with God in glory. Because the tomb is empty, somebody is waiting on the other side. Man, 
you'll be shouting hallelujah when you die. Some of you said, dead now, you're almost there. <laughs> Buddy, when death sets in and you see what's waiting on you, oh, my goodness. Well, I close with this. When Wellington met Napoleon at Waterloo, the people in England were waiting to hear the news of the battle. They saw a ship pull into the harbor, and the people had lined the shore, and they wanted to hear how the battle was going and who was actually the victor. Would it be Napoleon or would it be Wellington? All the English were praying that Wellington would win. When the ship pulled into the harbor, the man began to give the message by flags. As he began to flag out the message, W came up. He spells out Wellington. And then next, the D comes up, and it says, Wellington defeated. And then a fog went into the harbor. Oh, my goodness. That's when the Baptists went to gossiping. Everybody got depressed. Everybody thought, oh, my goodness. We're sunk. Then the fog rolled out, and the flagmen began to finish. Wellington defeated the enemy. Woo! They broke loose, shouting hallelujah. <laughs> when Jesus died, bowed his head, gave up the ghost, and he said, it's finished. Hell was having a party. Mary was weeping and crying. The disciples were depressed. Everybody thought it was over. They forgot what Jesus said. They only had half the message. On the third day when Jesus come out of the tomb, we hear the message, Jesus defeated the enemy at Calvary. Goodness gracious, folks. You're free. You're free in Jesus. And yet, you live so in bondage. So defeated. But that ain't Jesus. You. You're victorious. You better believe that Jesus was a precious little baby. Of course, all them babies grow up, don't they? Whew. You better believe that Jesus meant business. When he was walking on this earth for three years, teaching the disciples, putting his life in their life. You better believe. That he went to that cross not scared to die. And when he said it was finished, if you read your Bible correctly, ain't nobody killed him. He'd done it to himself. He was in control, even at death.
Now listen to me. Boy, there's a lot of tough stuff happens to us in this life. Amen. I mean, come on. I don't see anybody in here being beat, whipped. Now, you might feel like it. <laughs> I don't see anybody in here mistreated for the sake of Jesus. But that's not true in other countries. But it's true here. We still have religious freedom. Even though we have religious freedom, the church is in bondage. She's not free. Some of you here today, and while you're excited to the fact that you're a believer, you're not excited about your life. I'm going to tell you something. I don't know why the Lord allows us to go, the things, go through the things that He does. And I've looked back behind the side of my life and I go, God, what was you up to, Jesus? What in the world? But I'm stronger today because of it. Now listen, you can sit there mad. You can sit there frustrated. You can sit there depressed. And you can miss God a hundred miles off. You're going to meet him. You're going to meet him on his terms. Humility, honesty, with a loving heart, and a desperate spirit that wants him more than anything in the world. With your head.